Hello, and welcome to Navoba Marching Forward Monday podcast, Mission Business, Navigating the Business Landscape with Veteran Entrepreneurs of Color, brought to you by JPMorgan Chase in partnership with the National Veteran-Owned Business Association. I'm Mark Elliott, Global Head of Military and Veteran Affairs for JPMorgan Chase, and I'm also an Army veteran with nearly three decades of service. This podcast is dedicated to the exploration of unique challenges faced by veterans of color, as well as the opportunities and resources available to help their businesses grow and thrive. This is the fifth and final installation of a five-episode series covering topics such as access to capital, networking, certification, and business resiliency. J.P. Morgan Chase has been dedicated to creating an inclusive supply chain for almost 30 years, and currently the firm spends about $2 billion with diverse-owned businesses annually. If your business is certified veteran, services-abled veteran, minority, woman, disability, or LGBT-owned, and you're interested in working with us, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash supplier diversity. Today's episode is called Resiliency, Marching Forward Through Adversity, Keeping It Going When Things Get Tough, a conversation with veteran entrepreneurs about how they kept their businesses going in difficult times. What exactly is resiliency? And what attributes does a business owner need to be resilient? The dictionary tells us that resiliency is the ability of something to return to its original size and shape after being compressed. Resiliency is also defined as an ability to recover from or adjust easily to adversity or change. I think we all can identify with that definition. Psychologists define resiliency as adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threat, or significant sources of stress such as family and relocation problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stressors. At some point in our lives, we have all experienced these situations to some degree. According to McKinsey and Company, the world is at a level of disruption and business risk not seen in generations. Some companies freeze and fail, while others innovate, advance, and even thrive. The difference is resilience. In fact, McKinsey has an entire portfolio designed to address and improve business resilience for their customers. But what about for the veteran business owner of color? How have they had to adapt in the face of many difficult circumstances? This is what we plan to discuss today. We're going to explore this topic with two incredibly knowledgeable and experienced women veteran business owners of color who have unique stories to tell about how they replied on resiliency to keep it going when things get tough. First, we have Barbara Myrick, president of BM Construction, a full service construction and interior solutions business, and an Army veteran. Barbara holds a master's degree in acquisition and procurement with a certification in government contracting from Webster University and a bachelor's of science in business and finance from Regis University. She recently accepted the position of board chair with the State of Colorado Minority Business Office, Office of Economic Development, and International Trade. Barbara is the recipient of Titan Top 100 CEO, 2020 Enterprising Women of the Year, 2018 Southern Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce Minority Business of the Year, and the 2018 Women's Veterans Business Entrepreneur of the Year, given by J.P. Morgan Chase and the National Veteran-Owned Business Association. Welcome, Barbara. Well, good afternoon, and I thank you and appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Thank you, Barbara. Our other guest today is Francis Crespo, founder and owner of The Full Cup, 
a European style women's undergarment fitting salon and a Navy veteran. She has a bachelor's degree in business administration with a major in fashion slash retail, holds various civilian and military degrees, including a master's in education and a master's in military joint operations and planning. Francis served over 25 years in the Navy with a highlight serving as a special assistant to one of the Navy's top three-star female admirals, as well as serving 10 years as support personnel for Navy Special Operations component Navy SEALs. She is an alumna of Bunker Labs, Veterans in Residence in San Diego. Welcome, Francis. Thank you so much. What an honor to be here among you guys. Well, you both have such an extensive experience with your military service, business entrepreneurship, and community and volunteer service, really more than what we have time to share on this podcast. Thank you both for making time to join us today, and thank you both for your service to our country. So let's get started. Before we dive into our conversation about resiliency, I'd love to hear about your journey, starting with why you joined the military, what was your inspiration to join, and after the military, what made you decide to start your own business? I'll start with you, Barbara. Wow. When I look back at where I grew up at, the military was an option for me to leave that environment. And so I was born and raised in North New Jersey, urban America, and life was hard. You know, I came from a two-parent family, but my father, he dealt with alcoholism and schools were okay, but not the best in urban America. And so, you know, one day I woke up, I said, there has to be something better than this. You know, we can watch when I was growing up, we watched Leave it to Beaver and the White Picket Fence. And we thought the world could be that. Mm -hmm. Is there such a place like that? And so one day I was walking past recruiters and I said, military sounds pretty good. So I wind up going in and talking to a recruit. I started out in the reserves. And then a few years later, I went active duty. And I think that was the best decision that I could have made for myself as an individual. Mm -hmm. So when I look back now and where I came from and where my family still resides in New Jersey, you get stuck there. You get stuck with the hustle and bustle. So my way out of that environment was the military. And, you know, I went from several MOSs in the military and the military helped me grow up. And then when I got out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, I opened a daycare to meet the needs of military families and in the communities. And so that's where I started my entrepreneur skills was um, getting out the military and open a daycare. And then I wind up flipping homes. (laughs) And then I just said, okay, let's do a construction company. So that's what I've been doing now since about 1994. Wow, that's quite a journey. Was there something in your military service that made you think about becoming an entrepreneur? No, actually, you know, my husband, he was always talking about business, but he never did it. And when he would talk about it, I said, that's a great idea. Well, I'm going to do it. If you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so when I got out of the military, though, and I couldn't find daycare, and he said, why don't you stay home? And honestly, I was going to be a lifer. I was going to retire and travel. And then I had three little children. And I said, oh, I got to, somebody has to take care of these kids. And honestly, I didn't like kids. And I wind up... <laughs> opening a daycare and those children that I took care of became a blessing to me and I became a blessing to them. And I watched them grow up and some are adults now that stay in communication with me. And so that started my journey into entrepreneurship and to get into construction. Somebody drove by and said, I wind up doing a lease option to buy property. And it was honestly a dump and I renovated it. And someone drove by and said, oh, who was your general contract? And I said, oh, I guess I'll go get a license. (laughs) 
And <laughs> and that started my journey into construction. Wow. I got to tell you, the daycare piece is so familiar. My wife did something similar. She started a daycare. And it's amazing that that can catapult you into other things. Francis, can you um, maybe share your story and tell us you know, a little bit about your background and everything? First of all, Barbara, amazing. I'm just like in awe of you right here, just listening to your story. I grew up in Puerto Rico, so I was born in New York. My parents left when I was a year old, so I basically grew up in Puerto Rico. Two wonderful parents, and at 16, I became a single mama of my oldest, which is now 44. In blue collar, they really didn't know much about anything. I literally finished high school on my own. I enrolled myself in college. They didn't even know anything. I just like, I'm going to college. And um, that's what I did. I was the premier student for the first three and a half years. And I remember people asking me all the time, like, why do you work so hard? Because it would have been easier to go and get food stamps and everything else that was easy. And obviously I grew up with a dad that was like, that would not happen in this household. And I'm an only child. And I remember people asking me, what do you want to do? What do you see yourself doing? And at 17, 18, like you don't have a concept, right? Of like, I'm now I'm a single mama. I live on my own. I take care of my kid. I go to work. I have a full-time job, a part-time job. I go to school full-time. Like what I want to do. And I remember telling myself, I am going to be somebody. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what somebody meant. I didn't know what it looked like. But I was going to be it. And that drive just pushed me to keep excelling and keep doing things. So long story short, I went from a medical degree to business degree because it was quick and easy. And now I have two kids, single mom still. I got married, but it didn't last. And so I ended up getting my degree in business, worked for a government contractor for 11 years. And my boss at that time was a Naval Academy grad was my boss. He goes, you need to go into the military. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I could do that. And he goes, well, go to the reserves and see if you like it. And if you do, you can transition to active duty. So that's how it happened to me. So I transitioned from reserve to active duty. And it was the biggest blessing for me because it just was organic. And I work with the military the whole entire time. I went from working with them in Puerto Rico to coming to work with them in Virginia Beach and in DC. And I thought I was going to get out. I thought like, okay, I'm going to do my three years of active duty and then I'm going to be done. And unfortunately, I owe time apparently. And so I couldn't get out. So I had already started everything to start the business. And I just continue to hire good people. You know, you're like, okay, I'm a manager. That's what I do for a living in the military. I'm a manager. I can supervise. I can do this. So why can't I get good employees to run the business? And so for me, it was like, wait a minute, I have these skills that transfers to other things. So it doesn't have to be here or here. So that's what I did. And again, that was in 2003. And here we are. So both of you described some amazing examples of resilience. You know, Francis, I do want to just maybe follow up on that. So you started your business while you were in the service. Was there something in your service that demonstrated to you? I think you kind of talked about it. Wait a minute, I'm a manager. Is there some other things that kind of encourage you to say, I can do this while I'm still on active duty? When I came on active duty, I came on active duty with the Navy SEALs. And 
one thing about them is it's not the regular Nate. I mean, I hate to say this, but but they're not, right? And so yeah. they are very focused. You know, we have a mission and the mission cannot be stagnated by anything because we have to move forward. And so I remember on one occasion asking me for something and I'm like, well, if we do it this way, it's going to take longer. But if we do it this way, you know, we could do this, but we have, you know, so I'm trying to find different ways to make it work. And my boss at the time goes, we need this done find a way to make it work. And it was like, they did not take no for an answer. And so from a very early being in, I was like, no, is now is not an option. I went back in and I found ways. Obviously, you have to do your research. There was like, that has got to be a way. And so that's kind of the way I grew up in the military because I was my first active duty experience, even though I'd been as a reservist and I was deployed and I was gone and I was doing things. That was like the really big thing for me where somebody said no. I'm like, okay, well, how do we do it this way? I was that annoying person, even though it was nice. But I was going to find a way, which it reminds me of General Colin Powell. If you read his book, he yeah. says, they can tell him, well, you can't do this and this. And he go like, uh, no, there has to be a way. There's got to be a way. And there's got to be a way. So we're going to find a way. So Barbara, speaking of a way, can you maybe share with us about a time when you faced a challenge and you really had to just dig deep and utilize some of the resiliency that you already kind of talked about just growing up in Newark? And is there a specific time that you can recall where you had to dig deep and draw on that resiliency? So in 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer. And that in itself just set me back, the mind, the mental part of it. Well, I thought I had the right people in place to take care of the business while I went through this here nine months of illness. And I came back to work in September and everything that I had built, the company had grown to about 30 million and come back and everything was upside down. Mm -hmm. And with that, I had to have some reflection, like what happened here? Realizing then that I didn't have the right people in place to take the company where needed to go, but then come back and have all of this debt and clients are unhappy. And so I had to say to myself, there was two options and one was really not an option. Um, Okay. I can close the doors and file bankruptcy Mm -hmm. and call it a day, or I am going to dig myself out of this. And it was when I made that decision, I'm going to dig myself out of this. It was looking at the finances of the company, looking at the individuals in the company, and then having those hard conversations, just not having the hard conversations with letting people go, but with my vendors and my bankers and my clients. And some of them thought, like I had an attorney said, this will never work. You know, people wouldn't agree to this. You're out of your mind. And and I just said to him, we're going to take baby steps one bite at a time from the elephant and we're going to get out of this rut. Well, we are now in 2022 and we are out of the rut. I did not close my doors. I looked at me as an owner. Financially, I started the business with $500. It's going to take more than $500 to clean up this mess. So look at you and what do you have? Because in the end, it's not about me. Yeah. It's about the people that work for me. And it's about the people that were under those managers that they didn't take the time to say, this is the outcome if we don't do this. And so I looked at the 125 individuals that I had. It was my employees and their families and their parents that they take care of. 
And I said, I need to fix this. So I took my finances and I put them back into the company Mm -hmm. to move the company forward. And I released people from positions. And now we're in a good place. I know where we can be because we've already been there. And now it's what am I going to do now to make sure it never happens again and then to get us back to where we were or to my big audacious goal. And so that's what I'm working, but I didn't quit. And I think so many small businesses get stuck right there when trials come and they don't tap into their network. They don't have those conversations with their vendors and their bankers. They say, I've done enough for this company and I'm not going to put no more in. And I had to step back and say, I have people that depend on me every day and fathers that want to see their daughters and sons go to college or those that want to buy their wife a home or take their wives on a vacation or those young laborers that just want to buy a tiny home. I am a contributor to their life. And so I had to set an example and say, we're not going to quit. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make some strategic cuts without cutting people's paychecks. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to be lean and green. And that resiliency has actually made me a better leader because I just totally look at things differently when it comes to people. I might need a person, but that person needs to fit now. That person has to embrace the vision. That person needs to have a spirit of service. And it's just not, I'm going to come and sit in a chair and collect a check. How can I help move the company forward? So all of that has made me a better leader. It's made my team stronger. My team have seen me cry. My feelings are on my face. I don't hide things very well. And so we became a family. You know, we say we're a family-owned business. Then we really became a family because everybody didn't look at what was in their best interest. It was in the best interest of others. And then they really embraced me. But that, I, I couldn't quit. I just couldn't quit because I just said, it's not in me. It's not an option. So Francis, when I listen to Barbara, I picture Barbara, this little young kid in Newark, building this house of cards and then somebody knocking the house of cards down. And you know how hard it is to start over again when you put all of this energy into doing something that takes a lot of intricacy, putting it together. I know you're in a totally different industry, but do you have any similar stories or challenges that you've you know, had to weather through? Mark, I probably have a whole lot of stories to share, but I'm going to say something because Barbara, something resonated very deeply with me. And I think we're contemporaries in age. I grew up in an era where quitting was never an option ever. I'm a mom that was a mom at 16, right? That went to college, that bought a home when I was 18, that put myself to college, that put myself to my master's degree, that bought a home, that paid it off at 40, that, you know, sold my home to start a business. I mean, like, I just don't know the word quit. And the idea of getting handouts was never an option for me. And I don't say it in a bad way because there was a period in my time I had to get food stamps because I didn't have a job and I had kids. And the minute I had a job, I'm like, I went to the social services. I'm like, I don't need it anymore. And they were like, you could keep collecting. And I'm like, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's just not the way I was raised. And so let me share a story was very personal, but my father had a business in the seventies. Obviously we were into the big recession and depression and everything was going on. And when it didn't work, and obviously my mom is very risk adverse. So, you know, they didn't start the business again. 
And I remember seeing my dad always doing the shooter could have, what if, if I should have, like I could have, and I grew up with that, you know, pretty much my whole entire life. I was probably barely 10, 10 years old when that happened. And I remember when I sold my house to start this business, which is the only thing I had. And I said to myself, you know what? I can live being poor because I've been poor before. And I can live with not having because I haven't had before, but I will not live with the shoulda, coulda, woulda that my dad did because that would kill me. It was just in like in my spirit. And at that point, going back to my military background, you know, I spent 10 of my 20 something years in the military with Navy SEALs. I mean, they're a special breed. I love them dearly. And I remember the story from Marcus Luttrell and the book Lone Survivor. And if you heard the book or you've seen the movie, I mean, he was the only survivor of a very severe ambush. And he's talking about when he went tumbling down the hill and he has a broken back. All his friends are killed. Everything is going on. And he gets to the end of the ravine and he says, is this it? Is this life? Is this how it's going to end? Right. And obviously he has a little pity potty and he's just like, oh, my gosh. And then he thought to him, wait, wait a minute, I'm a Navy SEAL. This is not the way it ends. And he picks up a rock and he puts his hand out and he makes a mark and he goes, and I'm going to crawl to that mark. And then when I get to that mark, I will rest. And then I want to have the time again. I'm going to stretch my hand again and I'm going to make a mark and I'm going to crawl to that mark again. And I always remember that story, right? Because I mean, if you think about it, being in the middle of nowhere, like, what are you going to do? Like, it seems like, like, it seems like we're not going anywhere. Like, I don't know why I'm even crawling because there's a whole lot of them out there and all my friends I dead and I'm by myself, but that was not the attitude that he had. And I could resonate with that so deeply. So, you know, we have this team never quit mentality and I'm glad I was surrounded by that kind of people in my life that gave me that very positive outlook. As a matter of fact, one of them was one of the survivors from the incident when the helicopters went down, but one of them survived and is not very publicized and he lost a leg. And I remember coming down the steps from work one day and there he was, and he was just well-built young and he doesn't have a leg. I didn't know what to do with it, right? Because I think now we're very used to this now in the military, but back then, 20 years ago, you were not used to seeing the young kids with no legs and no arms. And he was like, hey, ma'am, how are you? And it just like it shifted me. I'm like, if he can do it, there's nothing that's stopping me. Like, there's nothing. And so I think being around those kind of people, I mean, if I quit, I'm really like a big loser. That's the way I felt. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Francis, I agree. There are a number of examples in the military that we've seen that kind of inspire that. I kind of want to maybe use that. Is this how it's going to end? And maybe pose that question to you, Barbara. Did you think, is this how it's going to end when you came back into the office and all is lost? What did you think? I know you kind of talked a little bit about this is bigger than me, but did you ever feel like this is how it's going to end? No, you know, I came in my office and I just cried. I just cried. So my faith is really important to me. And I just said, okay, how do I fix this? Because I couldn't quit. I couldn't let it fail. But I just said, okay, Lord, I need some help here. 
how do I fix this? And honestly, it was like a plan came out and said, you need to have this conversation. You need to pay this off. He told me, I'm going to need you to move out of the way because you right now you're selfish talking about, I worked hard for this and I'm going to lose everything. And I was just like, get out of your way. Just get out of your way and figure it out. And you know what? At that moment, I had money that I had saved that I forgot about. I forgot about the things that my attorney had said, put this in place, put this in place, put this in place. And so when I got over my pity patty party and my anger about what individuals didn't do, and then it said, you shouldn't have never had expectations of people anyway. Now you have to figure this out. And all of these things that I had prepared for that I forgot about just started opening up in my mind. And I'm like, I don't have money. Yeah, you do. It's right here. I don't have money. Yeah, you do. It's right here. And you need to do this. And so I couldn't quit. I just couldn't quit. And it's such a part of me. And then I had my first sergeant in the military and I called her and she just let me have my pity patty party. And then she said to me, well, Myrick, you're not a quitter. The things that you can do, you always have in your mind that you can't. And she said, so I think you're going to recover. I think you're going to be fine. I think you have all the tools that you need. You know, if you get stuck, we can have those conversations when you get in yourself again and we can help move forward. She was always there in that season. She was there when I felt like crying and having my pity patty party. She would always take me back to the things that I did in the military, the things that I accomplished that she didn't even think I could accomplish. And so she just encouraged me to continue. And then I had mentors come along to encourage me. I started bidding work and just looking at things just totally different. But I had to get out of my way. I had to get out of that mindset of doubt that I grew up as a child that was still ingrained somewhere in my mind that you weren't going to be successful. And I just said, this is not true. And this is what I'm going to do. And so those lessons, (laughs) I look back now and chuckle about them. Yeah. But those lessons redefine who I am going to be as a leader. That's awesome. Frances, Barbara just introduced a title and she used the phrase she a couple of times. When you described what some of your inspiration was, you use Navy SEALs and we all know Navy SEALs tend to be all male. And they are. <laughs> so I was just trying to be kind there. But when we talk about this concept of what inspires you to get up and go, Barbara talked about her faith and other things that inspire her. Are there some other things that inspired you to keep going, knowing that you were in that male dominated world, where there were some other things? Because I'm a firm believer and they don't have to look like you and have the same gender as you to be a source of inspiration. But, you know, how would you characterize that? So all these thoughts come into mind. Like I can tell you five stories. So first of all, when I first started working with them, that was back in 1997. There was a few females there for support. Still to this day, we don't have a Navy SEAL female. And I had this one admin type female. She was like six one, one of the first females actually in the Navy that was an honor guard with the military. So I meet her, I'm doing my paperwork and she calls me over. And I think we're like, I mean, between all the teams, there's four of them and the headquarters. I mean, if we have 20 females, it's a lot, yeah. right? We're talking about a thousand people. We are 20 and a tall girl, you know, and she said, ma'am, this is survival of the fittest. It's either going to be you or them. Make sure it's you. 
And I remember her telling me that a young lieutenant and I'm like, I'm like, oh, they're going to kill me here. But it was so ingrained in me. And it was not like a bottle because here's something I heard from Lisa Nichols. And she said something that I thought was very important. And she said, if you didn't have anything to prove, anything to protect, anything to hide or anything to defend now, who would you be? Because here's the thing, and she says, our energy is consumed trying to protect, prove, hide, defend. That's human nature, right? And so I always remember, just do my job. Do it honestly. Be ethical. Have integrity with your word. And I know we talk about all the things that happens with females in the military, which I'm, I'm not saying they don't happen, but I was so set and making sure that I would have a positive impact regardless of what happened, that even when things that should have happened happen, I would use them as my fire, my Kindle, you know, to just go like, no, this is the way it seems, but this is really the way it's going to end because ultimately is our story. And we decide what that story is going to look like. Right. And so going back to the faith part, Barbara, I, I couldn't have said it any better. And I remember. So two years ago, so I have the one store here now is I have for 18 years, but I had one that I was opening two years ago and I was opening March 17th in California, San Diego, and then COVID happened and we couldn't open. So now I'm here in debt with a store and paying rent. I just didn't even know what I was going to do. I mean, and I'm not the only one that went to that. And just like Barbara, I was like, I like had my little, you know, pity potty for a couple of days and I didn't know and you don't understand that's my savings and my whole life. And what am I going to do? I'm going to be poor living underneath the bridge and a cardboard box for sure. And then the same thing happened to me. It was like, okay, take a deep breath. Let's look at this because we were trained in the military to strategize and to come with solutions. So I started just little, it was just a little thing today. It was a little thing the next day and I just kept going. But here's the thing you're talking about resilience, which you mentioned the definition, Mark, is that putting back things they were they're supposed to. Well, nothing is going to look like it was ever. And so our mind is set on putting back things the way they were because we're comfortable and we want to go to that place, but it's not. So every time I got too comfortable because I did something and it produced results, it was most like I felt, obviously my personal opinion, God goes like, oh, you think you got this? Let me show you this. The rug got pulled. And then I would do something else. And then I would like, okay, let me try this, which a lot of things, whether people believe it or not, a lot of times people get their answers to their problems when they're resting, when their brains are resting, when you're sleeping. And and I would go like, oh, never thought about that. Why didn't I think about that? And I would do something, right? And it was, and I worked for a couple of weeks and then I got a little bit too confident with myself. He goes, oh, that's the way we're going to go. Put the rug out again. So, I mean, you do that for a year and a half and you go like, you know what? I ain't controlled nothing because, you know, control is an illusion and I have no control of anything. And the minute I allow myself to do that, it was like everything then started to flow. And I don't know how to explain this to people. And there's a saying in Spanish that he who tries to grab too much grabs very little. It's like trying to get a whole lot and things are falling. And that's, I think, sometimes what we do when we're entrepreneurs, we're trying to be everything for everybody. And it's like, no, let it go. So once I did that, I was able to then recreate 
right? I was able to recreate. I was able to strategize. And Barbara, you didn't mention this, but at a moment there, I think I lost my self-confidence, right? I mean, the spirit of never quit is still there, but that self-confidence, and, and you know, there's a saying that it says trust is a confidence relationship. It's an engagement with the unknown, right? And, and like, well, well, we don't like the unknown. So I had to learn how to have that trust in myself again and not be totally like moved by, you know, everything that happened. I'm like, oh, we have to close for COVID. Oh, that's not the best thing, but oh, well, you know what? I'll figure it out. What's the next thing? Okay, we'll figure it out. What's the next thing? That was just my experience. So we're listening to this on a podcast for our listeners. We're recording this in Zoom. And if you could see how Barbara and Francis are reacting to each other's comments, I mean, they're Supergirl high-fiving each other, you know, back and forth. And this is really special. And I tell you, I keep hearing so many different things that are just representative of the topic of resilience that each of you are sharing. You know, Barbara, if you look back on this and you think about maybe some of the lessons learned that you've had, you really have shared a failure. It wasn't your failure. It was something that was kind of thrust upon you. But are there some other lessons learned that you have as you reflect back on this concept of resiliency and how you've kind of navigated yourself through this? Because I think the messaging that I keep hearing out of here is, you know, it's almost one of those buzz light year, never give up kind of concepts if you're a Toy Story kind of fan. So I've just learned being an entrepreneur, we take risks every day. Some risks are known and some are unknown. I think we as entrepreneurs run towards the storm. And so when I look at that, you know, buffaloes, they don't run away from the storm. They run into the storm where cattle run away from the storm. And so they're in the storm longer. And so I just feel that as entrepreneurs, if we face those challenges up front and not dwell on them, you know, you brought up a good point, Francis. I did lose my confidence and I had to regain my confidence because I just said, I'm not here by mistake. It's a purpose for me to be in the industry that I'm in. So how do I embrace all my challenges? I have to face them head on. From being the only Black female in Colorado Springs that has a license to the challenges of access to capital and the things that I go through to get the business finance and the contracts that I have to pursue, those challenges I face every day because I don't know who is sitting behind that desk that's reading my proposal and what their feelings are about women of color and I have to put my best foot forward with what we do and our portfolio that we've established. I face these challenges on a daily basis. I embrace these challenges on a daily basis as well. I don't run from them. I run into them. I come up with solutions and I problem solve. And I help that person on that side of the desk that's reading the proposal that might have issues with individuals of color to embrace really what I do. Don't look at me for the color of my skin, but the content of my character, the things that I can do and how we can help you be successful. So every day I still face those challenges, but I enjoy them more because I don't run from them. I want to get out of the storm sooner than later. So I run towards them to help figure out how do I help others avoid these here situations? How do I help others not go through the challenges that I go through. Francis, I think we're here to open doors for others. The next generation will be on our shoulders. And so I wear my challenges as a badge of honor, honestly. I chuckle at some, I cry at some. I still face them every day, but I have to remember 
what I'm here for is to serve, not in a military capacity anymore, but serve my employees, serve my community, serve my family, serve those that are in need. That's what I'm here for. And so that's what I look forward to every day. And it drives me every day with all the obstacles that I face. You know, if something needs to be fixed, I need to be that voice. I need to be that voice for someone that doesn't have a voice. And so that's what I do on a daily basis. So I just have to have that mindset of resiliency that every day I will face a challenge, but how I embrace it and move forward from it, that's the rewarding piece for me. And so, like I said, I do it every day. Every day I come in and say, what does today hold? And all the challenges that come, let me not run from them, but let me run towards them. I could sit and listen to both of you all day long. Just your stories are so inspirational. You talked about why and what role the two of you feel that you play. You know, we all come from a military background and sometimes in the military, we think you have to have that rite of passage. You have to go through some of those difficult things in the military so that you appreciate your fellow service members. I agree with that, but I also think you're supposed to make it better for the next generation as well. Francis, one of the things you talked about a little bit earlier, that 16-year-old girl who started off and was faced with some challenges, Can you share what's your superpower? You know, what is the thing that you think is so unique that you bring to the table that helps you address these challenges? Well, I don't know if it's superpower, but it is. It's my faith. There's no other way to put it. And, you know, it's gone to the point where Barbara said, you know, when the new day starts, you're like, okay, bring, you know, whatever it is, I'm here. I'm like, you want a piece of me? I'm here. Bring it on. That's kind of the way I feel now. Like you and me have this relationship and I'm not going to go away and I'm not going to deny you and I'm going to have faith and it's never going to be any other way but this. I don't understand you. I don't like you sometimes, but my faith is not going to go away. But one thing I wanted to share with the 16-year-old is that I had an amazing opportunity and to follow what Barbara said about making sure that we're here. I mean, for me, it's my halftime. I'm in my halftime of my life. So I bring all the gifts, the skills, the talents, the things that I learned, the lessons, the mistakes, all the things. And I think sometimes we forget that we have all this myriad of things that we've done, that we overcome, that we are good at, that require skill and talent. And I remember being at a conference with my Admiral and I was in my dress blues with my aide Aglad and, you know, very pulled together. And there was a lady there that was participating in the event and she had a group back in LA. We're in Washington, D.C. I worked um, in Washington, D.C. And I'm talking to her. So she knows I'm Hispanic, right? I mean, I'm darker and I have curly hair. Obviously, my mind is full. And we had this conversation and I was telling her that I was a teenage single mom and I put myself to college and I did all this thing. And she said to me, did you ever go to L.A.? And I'm like, "Ah, no, not really. I'm always in the East Coast. And she said, well, if you ever go to L.A., would you consider speaking to my girls? We're talking the, the girls that are pregnant, single mamas, yeah. trying to make it, all that kind of stuff. And I looked at her, I'm like, well, sure, you give me your car, I'll see what I can do. And then she says something, this was 20 years ago, and it still to this day resonates with me. And she said, if my girls could see a glimpse, just a glimpse of who you are and what you have become, maybe then they can see themselves in that light. And that, I mean, I'm telling you now, and I had goosebumps because I never thought about it that way. I mean, that's just the way we do. And I think as military women, and this is important to note, we just get things done. 
But at what point are we not getting things done and we're a little bit more human? Because we came from a generation where we were always put in a position where we have to prove stuff. I mean, did we? I don't know, probably. But now I think as females and not only in military, but in business. Now, I will tell you, and Barbara, I don't know about you, but when I worked in corporate America and I did for 11 years, corporate American woman for me was almost felt like I had to do it on my own. Girl, you better learn how to do it on your own. Nobody help me. You figure it out. I didn't find that with business owners because we're all in the same struggle. And military was kind of like, you know, we were all in that. But as women business owners, we want to support one another. Like I am here. You need something. You come and talk to me. Because if I don't have somebody or I don't know, I will find somebody that knows. And I think that's the difference now from that military officer, that military woman now growing. And I think there's more humanity to us because see, perfection doesn't exist, right? We, we want to be perfect, but perfection doesn't exist. It's our self-confidence that keeps us going. Yeah, I think that's so appropriate. And Barbara, as I was listening to Francis, again, I wish folks could see the two of you on this podcast, you know, and all of the behind the scenes antics that are going on as each of you are talking. I almost want to say preaching to each other. Francis just talked about the challenges in corporate America and I got yours, you get yours. Is there something, Barbara, that's unique about the veteran experience and particularly the veteran experience, the person, a woman of color that informs your approach to entrepreneurship about I'm going to make this better for everyone else? Or how should we think about that? We are to set the course for the next generation. We are to share our experiences. We are to share the good and the bad. And I think sometimes we get stuck on the good, that we don't share the pitfalls of business. For instance, my daughter, she traveled a couple of weeks ago. And one of the young ladies that grew up basically in my household is one of her best friends and she lives in Georgia. And so they had a 40 year girls get together in Northern California. And this young lady, I didn't know how much I impacted her, but she was telling her friends and my daughter was the only childhood friend that she invited. And she was telling this group of nine women about me. And my daughter said to me, you just don't know how much you impacted her life. Being an entrepreneur, just with your daycare and the rules of being a mom and the things that you didn't allow us to do that she got to do. But you said, no, we're just not doing those things. And so she was talking about the structure that my children had as children. But then she also commended me for opening a business. Things that she didn't see Black women where we live at in Colorado Springs do and it become successful. And in giving my children the opportunity to go to college and buy homes and, and stuff like that. And she just said, your mother has really instilled so many good values and traits in you guys that it passes on. When I look at my children, it just makes me proud when they stop to help a homeless vet to make sure that a vet has a meal or they'll go and get the meal instead of giving the money or find out, can they help take them to the VA hospital? Because they know vets are very important to me. They hold a part of my heart, you know, because when I look at the sacrifices that vets make and then they get out and don't have access to things. And so my daughter said to me, you impact so many people that you don't even know because it's so much a part of you to give to individuals that don't have. She said, it doesn't matter the color that they are. If somebody needs a, a room to sleep in, you'll pay for a hotel and you don't even know them. You'll just call the hotel and pay or if they need food or if they need transportation. Yeah. And she just 
just said, so you set the example for us to always be givers to others. And I said to her, you find more satisfaction in life when you can give to others because it's not about you. It's about the lives that you can affect. And so I think my business, I want to just not impact the lives of the people that work for me, but I want to impact the lives of so many that look like me that can't see it. They can't dream it. They can't believe it. And I try to really share my life with people. My kids say sometimes I share too much of my life, but that's okay. (laughs) But I share poverty with them. I share depression with them. I share rejection and loneliness. I share all of those things to let them know that those are challenges, but believing in yourself and dreaming it and knowing that you can do it and finding those people to help you along the way, you can reach those goals. And so I, I just think it's so important for us as not just as veterans and as women of color, but as people to always share. We don't know who we're going to bless that day we share that story with, how we're going to impact them to go out and move forward and open a business or go and get a degree, a teenage mom going to get a degree and buying a home or buying a car. We just don't know how we affect people by the conversations that we have. And so, you know, I am up. I'm not saying I'm up in age without telling my age, <laughs> but I am at a point in life where I am more of sharing my talents in my time so that the next generation can believe that they can be whatever they want to be in life. Yeah, you got to know, Barbara, folks were doing math earlier when Frances was talking and she was spilling the beans. So just so you know, she did put you in that category with her earlier. She said, I think we're probably around the same generation. So (laughs) folks did the math a while back on you. So, you know, blame that on Frances. Okay, Frances. (laughs) I have no problem saying my age, if you want to (laughs) know. So we're almost at time here. But what I really want, maybe as we're about to close this out, advice. You're speaking to this group now, and they've all been listening. And I think they've just picked up so many different nuggets from each of you. Is there one piece of advice that you want to leave this group with around being a veteran, an entrepreneur, but more specifically, a veteran entrepreneur of color who just happens to be a female? Is there a piece of advice that you would say them about how they need to um, attack or address these challenges that are going to come their way? I think you both have demonstrated that. I'm going to give you a runabout answer and I'll tell you why in a minute. So first of all, you guys are a financial institution that have committed to supporting women of color in business. And so I want to bring that to the attention because we haven't talked about that, but it's very important. So when I started my business, obviously I had my house that I sold. And so I have the background now. I was married, went to a divorce. I was a single mom. I put myself to college. I graduated, got myself, you know, like everything I did. So they were maybe a year and a half, two years of my life where my payments were late and my mortgage, but I negotiated and I called and I let them know and I make sure everything was paid. Like there was never a time that I didn't stand up and go like, I know I owe you money. I'm not trying to back away from that. I'm asking you, can we negotiate so I can stay in integrity with my word and be in integrity with you? And I'm saying that because as a woman, we are taught not to ask. We are taught to not be seen, at least again, in our generation. And so ask for what you need. Learn to negotiate. I remember when I went to the bank to ask for my first loan and they were like, "Um, I don't know, blah, blah. You had credit here. And we're talking about five years in. And I said, listen, I understand that. 
I said, so if I would have filed for bankruptcy, that was seven years ago, I would have been having a clean slate. But because I chose to do what's right, now I'm getting penalized. Why is that? I said, I can bring you all my documentation. I can bring you everything I have. So you could see that I honor my commitment to the bank and to myself. And that banker went to bat for me and I ended up getting the loan. And I thought that was very important because one of the major issues for females in business is finances, right? It's finances. Let's, let's just be honest. Whether you're a female or woman of color is finances. So we always underrepresented. And so when the bank is going to look at our papers, they're like, oh, okay, you know, but I'm like, no, let's negotiate this. So I want to encourage women to go like, learn to ask for what you need. Learn to negotiate your worth because we're not taught that. And taking a no for an answer is not an option for me. That's so powerful, Francis. Barbara, you've built a $30 million business, and I'm going to say twice. What's your advice that you want people to walk away with about those things I said, entrepreneur, veteran, but woman of color, doing all, pulling all of those things together? What would you say? What um, I would say is make sure that we, as women-owned businesses, take our finances seriously. We should know our financial. We should know our balance sheet. We should know our profit and loss. We should know our cash flow. We should know our work in progress. We should know those things. We should not just build our internal teams with staff members and project managers and salespeople. We should build our external team with our bankers and our lawyers and our bonding companies and our CPAs. And then when we don't know something, we need to ask. Like Francis said, we need to ask for understanding of why we we were denied alone, or we need to say, what do I need to do to improve so that you can become my banker? Or what would you need for me for me to become your client? And what do you understand small business and the needs of small business? Or are you just a banker? And we need to find those bankers, even in the large banks as Chase, that understand small business and the needs. I just think we miss out on so many opportunities because we don't ask the right questions. Like Francis said, we don't know our worth. Our knowledge is our worth. We know how to maneuver and get things done. And I think we need to represent and present better, but there's so much and it comes at us all at one time sometimes. And we get pulled in different directions. And, and I would just say to stay focused on what your mission is, what your vision is, what your core values are, but building those relationships. I have to say, I'm so impressed with Chase. When I was a president award in Detroit, Chase had set up banking for minority businesses in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And that just really resonated with me. Yeah. And now they have it in Los Angeles. I actually said to Chase, so when you guys come to Colorado, because we have those same problems <laughs> in Colorado as well, where minorities have a hard time accessing capital. And I think we have to look at things a little different. Banks have to look at minority businesses a little different, but we have to understand our worth. We have to understand how we have to invest in ourselves as well. But all of those things of understanding our financials and building that external team is really going to help us be successful and really taking our lumps in constructive criticism and not getting mad when someone say, if you do this, you're going to have to close your doors or you're screwing up. So we have to just be open to doing business and not getting certifications and expecting a handout. Those certifications allow us to get invited to the table. You might not get served at the table, but it gives you an invitation to the an table. Invitation. So I, I want us to change our mindset on what 
it is to own a business and operate a business and not want the handouts that so many look for when you get them. And so I just want to encourage everyone to build an external team, just like they build their internal team to really build a good external team, because those are going to be your advisors to guide you, get you down the course and the path that you want to go. So I will tell you the thing that resonated with me and most and everything that you just said, and I think this is so important for women of color, but women, I think in particular is know your worth. So that's all the time we have. Barbara Myrick, Francis Crespo, thank you ladies so much for sharing your experience and insights with fellow veteran entrepreneurs today. If you'd like to hear more with other Mission Business podcast episodes, you can find them on Navoba website at novoba.org slash podcast. That's N-A-V-O-B-A org slash podcast. Remember, if your business is certified veteran, service disabled veteran, minority, woman, disability, or LGBT plus owned, and you're interested in working with JPMorgan Chase, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash supplier diversity to register in the supplier diversity network. Thank you, ladies.